My name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace. I want to say thank you very much for being a part of our services this weekend. We don't take it lightly anytime anybody, anybody shows up. There's a lot of other great churches in the area you could have been at. Uh, so the fact that you're with us this weekend is a, is a big deal. I want to say thanks. Uh, we're in a new series uh, called the Airplane Mode uh, that was rolled out last weekend by your location pastor, uh, Ken and Avon Taylor in Braintree. Uh, how many of you guys automatically knew what he was talking about when he said airplane mode? Everybody's familiar with that on their cell phones. Anybody still using um, a flip phone? Just checking. All right. The, anybody remember the big bricks that were like the old olden day? Anybody remember pagers? Pagers, anyone? Pagers. All right. Just checking. Uh, I remember we, before they were pagers, they were beepers. Anybody remember beepers? Right? Because they beeped. We got really creative on that name. It's how we came up with that, I, I, I think. But yeah, there's, there's airplane mode. Uh, if, you're on an, uh, if you're on an airplane, uh, they want you to uh, turn off reception from your cell phone because apparently uh, text can take an airliner down is what they, I don't know. Like if, if, uh, if my cell phone not being turned off is going to take this plane down, I want a different plane. Anybody else with me on that one? Right? I don't want to be on that if my cell phone can do that. Uh, but yeah, airplane mode means that it, like, it, it has no data, no, no internet, no, no reception at all. Like you're complete, like it's on, it's on, uh, but, but there's, there's no outside distraction. And the truth is, uh, our lives can get cluttered. Um, we, we, get super, we get super busy. And no amount of time-saving devices or tools in our lives seem to free up enough bandwidth for us to find healthy spaces. It seems like anytime we find some type of sa uh, time-saving tool, we just figure that, fit, fill that up with, with, more, with more distraction, uh, more, more work to do, or, or, more, or more entertainment. And if we're going to be completely honest, many of us never hear from God any, any other time outside of the weekend services uh, because if we're going to be honest, it's because we don't really uh, leave enough room to be quiet enough to hear them if he wanted to talk to us in the first place, right? Uh, I don't know that God's ever going to scream at you louder than the volume on, on your TV set. Uh, and, and I don't know uh, if you're going to be able to hear the voice of God speaking into your heart if, if you've always got uh, your, your headphones on, right? Like we've, we've always got noise, always got input, always got into input. And, and what you find in Scripture is that God speaks to us in, in, in the quiet places, in the still moments. Be still and know that I am God, the Scripture says. That's why Jesus had a habit of pulling away from everybody else before the day ever got started. Jesus was a morning person, which is the reason why I'll never be like Jesus. But he would pull away before, the Bible would say, a great while before day, Jesus would go off into a solitary place and, and he would pray. So if Jesus needs quiet time uh, to, to be and to hear from his Father in heaven, how in the world would we expect to be able to hear from God without finding a way to turn our lives on airplane mode, which is the idea behind this entire series. So we're going through uh, John chapter 15. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. It's where we're going to be for uh, most. It's going to be the starting place, the, the, the jumping off spot uh, for the teaching throughout the rest of, of this entire series. Uh, last week, we learned uh, that Jesus had used a metaphor to describe uh, our relationship uh, with, with God, uh, our Creator, our Heavenly Father, and the role that Jesus plays in our relationship with, with our Creator. Um, Jesus had used the metaphor of a grapevine. 
Then he said that my father is the gardener. He, own, he owns the vineyard. He says, I, I'm the vine, and you are the branches that grow off of this vine. And your location pastor talked about the need that we have from time to time to prune those branches so that they produce more fruit and, and how there might be some areas in our life that need to be completely cut off. Uh, because one of the things that Jesus talks about in this metaphor of the vineyard uh, in it being a picture of our relationship with God and the role Jesus plays in connecting us to our Heavenly Father, uh, he says that those branches that produce fruit are pruned so that they produce more fruit. And, and one of the lines that I heard that I thought was really good is that sometimes if you feel that there is pruning happening in your life right now, if God's applying scissors, shears, <laughs> a weed whacker, a, 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 I don't know, <laughs> a log chipper, right? Like if you, if you feel that kind of grinding happening in your life, it might not be discipline for any horrible thing that you've ever done. It might simply be God's cutting out areas of your life that are soaking up extra spiritual and physical or emotional attention and energy that ought to be directed to other branches, right? Like God might just be taking you through a period of time and working in your life in such a way that your life would actually become more productive as a result of this. So sometimes we're, our prayers are focused on God take away the tension, take away the discomfort of this season of my life that I'm growing through. And what you might not be re realize is that you might be asking God to take away the very things that he's using to help you become the person you've always been asking him to help you become. Right? Um, so it's not that I want relief from struggle. I want purpose in struggle. That's what I want. There's going to be struggle. There will be no gain without it. Yes or no? Right? You didn't finish your degree by coasting through school. Right? <laughs> you guys are like, I know, and that's why I never got my degree. I just... <laughs> I like coasting, right? But you don't, you don't get anything significant. Like, there is always struggle. Like, we want, we, want, we want the destination, right? But we don't want the journey that gets us there, right? But it is the journey that you have to go through in order to get the... Apparently, I'm developing a stuttering problem as we go. Uh, but that's what we were, we were talking about. So in this metaphor, uh, the Father, God the Father, is, is, is the gardener. Jesus, God the Son, is the vine. And he says that those who are attached to me will bear fruit. And then he says, those who do not bear fruit, I will cut off. What does that mean? If you don't bear fruit, I will cut you off. So we're going to do, a, but before we get into the main point of the teaching today, I want to do a, a quick theology lesson because there are those who will take from that statement in this passage of Scripture that what Jesus is inferring is that if you don't produce, God will kick you out. That you can lose your relationship with God based on your bad behavior. And I want to say this. Your good behavior isn't what brought you into relationship with God. And your bad behavior ain't no threat to it either. There are times my kids are good and there are times my kids are bad, but dang it, good or bad, they're my kids. And if my blood is strong enough to keep them in my family, I promise you the blood of Jesus is strong enough to keep you in his. Right? 
There's a few things that Jesus actually said to this idea. The first is in John chapter 6, verse 37, where Jesus said this. However, those that the Father has given me will come to me. And I will never, what? Jesus says that those that my Father gives me, those who turn from their brokenness, their disobedience towards God, their selfishness towards others, those who place their faith, hope, and trust, and the fact that I have earned God's favor on their behalf, that the whole point of my death, burial, and resurrection on the cross was to pay off their debt so that they could have what I bought for them, right? Immunity from the consequences of sin, righteousness, holiness, right standing with God. Those who turn from their sin and repent to begin following after me, I will never, ever, 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 ever reject them. I'll never reject them. In John chapter 10, four chapters later, Jesus says, My sheep, listen to my voice. I know my sheep. My sheep follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand either. So once I have been rescued from the consequences of my rebellion against God, my selfishness towards my fellow man, my faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection brings me to a place of adoption in the household of faith. Jesus said, number one, nobody can ever, ever, ever take you out of my hand. There's no one stronger than God. You're in the center. David talked about this being in the palm of God's hands. And what Jesus said is, ain't nobody strong enough to pry his fingers open. So number one, nobody can take you out of God's family. Then Jesus said, or four chapters earlier, I will never throw you out of my hand. And if your good deeds didn't earn that spot, your bad deeds can't lose it. So what is he talking about when he says that branches that don't produce fruit will be cut off? What fruit is he talking about? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, the word fruit is used, but then translated, not literally, but figuratively in this verse, in this translation that we're using. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 says this, Prove by the way you live your life that you have, what's the next word? Repented of your sin. Repented of your sins and turned to God. The King James is a more literal word-for-word-for-word-for-word translation of the Greek text here, and it says, show the fruit that proves that you've repented of sin. So the fruit that Jesus is talking about is the evidence that you have turned from your selfishness, your disobedience towards God, and began following others. Because Jesus is preaching to a primarily Jewish audience who thought that their birthright through Abraham gave them special standing before God. And honestly, you you may or may not be Jewish at all. If you're Jewish, you might still feel that way. But I know Catholic friends that believe the same thing. That because they were born Catholic, they've got special standing before God. God's not interested in your spiritual, your physical heritage. He's interested in the condition of your heart. So you're not in simply because you are a descendant of a Jewish person. You are a descendant of, your your grandma's super Catholic. I get it. Like she's super, super Catholic. 
But you and I stand before God on the condition or on the basis of our own relationship with him. So he's saying to a group of people that had been called out of the rest of the world and singled out to be an example to the rest of the world of what it looked like to live in relationship with them. And he said, listen, remember the fruit I talked to you guys about last year? The fruit that gave evidence that you had turned from your own disobedience towards God and your selfishness towards others to begin following me. He says, those of you who do not demonstrate that fruit before this moment you had closer access or more proximity to the opportunity for faith. But I'm telling you from this moment on, now that I have shown up, you will be cut off unless you show that you have the same fruit that I require of everybody. Repentance from sin and a commitment to follow after me with the rest of your life. Without that fruit, you are, you are cut off. So branches without fruit are cut off from that access. They, they are not in Christ. They do not belong in the vineyard. Those with fruit are pruned so that they produce more fruit. That was just John chapter 15, 1 through 3. Today we're going to go through verses 4 through 8. So if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, open it up now. John chapter 15, verse 4 is where I'm going to start. And here's what Jesus says to those branches who have come to the conclusion. And listen, I know that every single week in here at Grace Church, we have people who are not sure what they believe about God yet. I'm just, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really, really, really glad that you're here because I believe that it is God's intention to give you this opportunity to be reconciled to him, to be made right with him. But if you're made right with God, it's not because you're a better person than the person who's next to you. Because no matter how good you are, you will never earn the right to stand before God on Judgment Day when he says, are you innocent or guilty of breaking my laws? You will never do enough good to say that I am innocent of ever breaking your laws. Every single one of us have broken a commandment. And those of us who would say that we haven't are breaking that one right there about lying already. Right? Every one of us will stand before God, and you confront, we confront in front of each other. You don't know anything about me. So I can put on a mask that shows that I'm a really good, righteous, holy person. Now, it's harder for me to keep that mask going the closer you get to me and the more proximity you have to me. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> but when we stand before God, there's no mask. And you will look in the face of your creator, and he will say, have you broken my laws or not? And you will be honest. And you will say, yes, I've broken them. And if God is good, and if God is just, he cannot let guilty people go free. He can't. But what he would do is let an innocent person take your place. Who here is innocent? None of us. That's why, that's why we need Jesus. He's the only one who was. Then Jesus says, John chapter 15, verse 4, Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you, you, can't, you can't do anything. You, you can do nothing. And 
in, in, in Jesus' day, talking to the people who lived in this agrarian culture that he was talking to, there were farmers, there, and if they weren't farmers, if they're merchant men, you know, they, they lived with farmers all around them. They probably were the son of a farmer. Even they were son of a merchant man, like they, they bartered and they traded. Like everybody was familiar with this type of language, Jesus talking about. I, was gonna, I know the word is husbandry, but I didn't want to say that word husbandry because it just sounds weird, right? Like that's just, these are terms and phrases and it's a word picture that we're not familiar with. So what I thought uh, might help for us today uh, is, is a toaster. So uh, I'm going to use a toaster as an example uh, in, the, in the teaching today. And essentially, if you and I are a toaster, we were meant to make what? We were meant to make toast. But we cannot make toast all on our own, right? Apart from something, we can never be fruitful. We can never do what we were intended to do. The only way that we can ever do what we were intended to do is if we connect with what makes it possible for us to do what we were intended to do, which in this case would be what? What do we need? We need to plug it in so that we can get what? A power so we can get electricity, right? That's where, the power, that's where that power comes from. But here's the problem. You and I, because of our sin, are American plugs in a European outlet world. Right? I know who I am. I know what I'm like. And then I see this two-hole outlet in the wall that's round. And I don't know if you guys have ever traveled internationally, but if you've traveled internationally and you took anything that needed a plug-in, like your cell phone, they went over to the hotel. Now, if it was a, it was a major hotel in a major city, they'll, they'll have European and American outlets. Um, but I'm in Sierra Leone, West Africa. And when we had electricity, they def- definitely didn't have this, 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 this kind of an outlet. What I, what I needed was something that would connect me to something that I, I can't connect to on my own. Are you with me? You know what I needed? I needed an adapter. That's what I needed. This adapter was made to live in both worlds. Right? This adapter connects to a European power source. And then on this side of it has... I'm about to lose my toast over here. And, this, and, and, then, and then it has an outlet right... And, and then it has a place right here for it, for it to connect. If there is a God... Yahweh, Allah, it's just the Arabic word for God. If he exists, then his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Our goodness is not his holiness. And if God exists, then our brokenness makes it impossible for us to connect with him. In the same way that if you took a clean sock and a dirty sock and rubbed them together, the clean sock doesn't make the dirty sock clean. The dirty sock makes the clean sock what? Dirty. If you and I, by the choices that we've made and our selfishness towards others and our rebellion towards God, have done nothing but add more and more and more and more mud to our sock, then for God to remain pure and holy, he must demand His character demands separation from that which contradicts his nature. Are you with me? But because he's love, he does not want to leave us in that disconnected, broken, 
filthy, dirty, unconnected state. So what is God to do? In the Hebrew Scriptures, He gives us the Torah, the standard of what it looks like to be a clean sock, knowing that we would fall short. The Hebrew scholars of became followers of the Messiah that God had sent on their behalf, told us that the Torah, the law that God gave us, was simply to prove to us that we needed God and were incapable of being what we needed to be on our own. So that when that connector, when the adapter came along, we wouldn't say, I don't need that. We would see that as relief. We would see that as rescue so that we wouldn't miss him. And that's why he showed up. So Jesus says that those who remain in me, right? Those who are in me can produce fruit, can make toast. Now, those that make toast will be pruned. Those who make toast, the knobs may be adjusted so that you make better what? toast. Or push that button and you can make a bagel. <laughs> push that button for Legos. Leg oh, not Legos. <laughs> Don't put Legos in here. Don't put Legos in here. That would be bad. Legos or, or metal objects or little kid fingers, right? I meant Lego my what? Everybody said Lego my? Right, there you go. Waffles. That's where I was going with that. That's got a different setting for each kind of, right? And all God says is those that make toast, those who are in me will make toast. Those that are not in me, I set you aside. You're not mine. I can't do anything with you. You can't make toast. Why? Because you ain't, you ain't connected. But those who are connected, I'm going to keep turning these, these knobs. I'm going to keep pushing these buttons so that we get really good at this, at, at making toast. That's all Jesus is saying. There's no, if there's no juice, there's no toast. Apart from Jesus, we have no connection to God. So if you want to know God, then you need to know Jesus. If you want to be made right with your creator, then you must be made right with Jesus. John chapter 15 verse 6 says this, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless toaster and rusts. Is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. I think that there are those of us who may call ourselves Christians on Sunday, Jews on Saturday, or Muslims on Friday, but God has never been interested in the label that you claim. All He's ever been interested in is your heart. And He does not have your heart until. You repent of your sin. You turn from your own disobedience towards God and selfishness towards others and become connected to the only adapter God ever created to connect you to Him. If you choose not to remain in Him, you wither, die, and are burned. And this is another slight, small reference to an eternity apart from God. Hell. And Jesus, I, I don't like this subject any more than anybody else likes the subject. 
It's very uncomfortable. But Jesus talked about hell twice as much as he talked about heaven. Did you know that? Not because he's a sadist, but because he's passionate. In the same way that your parents told you the consequences of crossing a street without holding hands or looking both ways, far more than they ever talked to you about the benefit of getting to the other side. God is willing to let anyone connect to him, but only if they use the only connector that works. So I'd like to suggest that Muslims are not your enemy. Jews are not your enemy. Other Christians are not your enemy. Atheists are not your enemy. Our sin is the enemy. I'm to distance myself, not from the people who disagree with me or the people who are unconnected toasters. I'm to disconnect myself from the sin that keeps me from making toast. Some of you guys are just stuck on toast and you didn't get that at all. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Other toasters are not the problem. My tendency to short circuit the outlet. I got, I'm going to work this little electricity illustration all day. That's, that's my problem. My focus isn't other toasters. My focus is making sure I'm connected to the adapter. And that my buttons and the knobs are turned right. That's it. That's my focus. John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said this, But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. What? That, some of you guys are like, I'm going to memorize that verse right there. But there's a condition. Jesus ain't your Santa Claus, and he for sure ain't your genie. There's a condition to this. He says, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, on that condition... Pray whatever you want. The truth is, if the attention of my heart is focused on the one who's trying to renew it, if I'm giving access to every area of my life to God, and I am pouring his words, the Bible, into my heart, I can ask anything I want at that point, and God will give it to me, because the truth is, I'd probably pray different prayers than the ones I'm praying now. <laughs> you too? Right? Can you imagine if we were to do nothing for a period of time, but just give ourselves to this pruning process? God, I, I am available to you. I will create silent space in my life where I will either listen to scriptures online. By the way, if you have the Bible app, you don't have to read the Bible. You can listen to it, right? Like I, I can listen to the entire Bible in six months just in my commute to and from the office, now that's listening to it at one and a half speed, just so you know. It's not regular speed, it's one and a half speed. 
But you can do that if you make time for that. But if I were or you were or we were to create space to make ourselves actually available to God and on a regular and consistent basis, poured God's word into our heart and pruned the sin as we saw the little buds of its leaves creeping out on our branches. I'll bet you if we were to do that for a period of time, we'd pray different prayers at the end of that time than what we pray now. That's why Jesus says, if you are in me and my words shape your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions, then yeah, I trust that the prayers that you pray will be more in line, more aligned with my plan for your life anyway. Why? Because God's goal is my fruitfulness. Why? Because of what it says in verse 8. John 15, verse 8. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. Do you realize the most glorifying thing that you can do for God is just to give him more access to you? He receives more glory from just having access to your heart than he does you singing. But now you sing with a heart like that? That's his favorite song. He'll put that on repeat all day. But truthfully, the most beautiful songs from a heart that's not given any access to God, well, that probably sounds like the way I sing in real life. The person who is in the vine and has no unrepented sin and is shaped by God's word prays different prayers. So how can I be the kind of person who makes the kind of choices that puts me in a position to bear this kind of fruit? And as we get to the end of the teaching today, we are briefly going to look at one of the most famous men who's ever lived and truthfully has helped shape history, human history, far more than what we've probably considered. His name is Daniel. If you've got your Bible, go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel was a slave, most likely made a eunuch in his preteen years, and taught to live as a Babylonian, which is what the Babylonians did really, really well is they dissolved other, not just nations, but other cultures because they would kidnap their children and raise them as a Babylonian so that these kids would forget that they were Jewish or they would forget that they were Assyrian or they would forget that they were whatever they happened to be before they were taken over by, by the Babylonians. Daniel, though, was a guy who had already made a personal commitment to faith in his creator, trusting that someday... He would show up in human history, live a sinless life, and offer himself as a sacrificial payment for the sins of mankind. Because that is what the Hebrew Scriptures talk about. Over 300 times, the Messiah is referenced. Uh, things about his, his, his death, his life, his resurrection even, are talked about in the Hebrew Scriptures. And Daniel knew these Hebrew Scriptures. But now he's been kidnapped. His parents most likely killed. He's raised as a Babylonian 
And he excels at everything that he does because Daniel had determined something in his heart. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says this, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Now, I don't know what was wrong with the food or the wine that the king ate. I don't, I don't, meat is not a sin for Jews to eat and wine is not a sin for Jews to drink. But there was something about this food and wine that Daniel felt compromised his conscience. And out of his relationship to God and his devotion to God, he made a determination that regardless of the circumstances I'm in, whether I'm in a majority or minority, I am determined I will not defile myself before my God. I don't care what you think about me. Dang it, there's one person whose opinion matters most. And that's the one I'm not letting down made a determination. Verse 12 says that he said to the person in charge of the diet for all of these kids who are being raised as councils, uh, to be on the council for the king, uh, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables uh, and water, Daniel said. And at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. As I said earlier, Daniel becomes one of the most influential people in all of history. Daniel rises to the position of prime minister as a Jewish man in a Babylonian court. When the Babylonians are defeated by the Medes, it was customary for the new reigning king to assassinate everybody else who was a counselor to the old king. And that may have actually happened to everybody except for one person, Daniel. Then a whole new group of people, the Persians come in and they take over the Medes. And then the same thing happens and one person is spared, Daniel. He's a prime minister under three different world empires. And he served four different famous kings that you probably studied. Nebuchadnezzar, King Darius, King Cyrus, and King Artaxerxes. All of them chose this man to be their lead counsel. He's venerated in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And early on, it was his decision to keep his heart clean before God that put him in a position to bear this kind of fruit. We also see from reading the book of Daniel that he prayed three times a day towards Jerusalem. And then in the rest of the entire scriptures, both the Hebrew scriptures and the Jewish scriptures, we see a connection between Fasting and praying. The conscious choice to deny ourselves food that we crave in order to discipline our willpower to deny ourselves the sin we crave so that we could be the kind of person who prays the kind of prayers that are aligned with the will of God for our lives. Fasting and prayer are the two tools that the gardener uses to prune us. Fasting and prayer are the buttons on the toaster that can be adjusted to determine the kind of toast, what kind of bagel, what kind of Legos we make. Egos, I know, I was just kidding. Jesus once said that certain things only happen because of prayer and fasting. Jesus had cast out a demon out of this girl, and the disciples had seen that, and he had taught his disciples, listen, this is how you guys wage spiritual warfare in a broken, messed up world. So when these guys had an opportunity to pray over another person, it didn't go very well. 
And they went to Jesus and they said, can you, can you help my daughter because these guys are morons? They didn't say it that way. I'm sure they were thinking it. And when Jesus was able to heal this little girl, the disciples came up to him and said, why didn't it work when we prayed? And Jesus said, there are some things that you will never experience in your life until you learn the habit of prayer and fasting. So a fast for Daniel was not that I won't eat any food, although a fast for the Apostle Paul meant that he didn't eat any food. Elijah fasted. Esther fasted with her uncle Mordecai. And all the nation of Israel fasted. And today the Jews still celebrate Purim. Purim. That's one of their high holy days that they still celebrate. And it was a nationwide prayer and fasting, and the Jews still observe that. I think, at least religious Jews, would still do that now. Paul fasted, Jesus fasted, and they all prayed and fasted. And it's not that me starving myself impresses God. God goes, oh, you're not drinking soda. I'm impressed. I will grant you a wish. Pray whatever you want. My good deeds don't earn me my relationship with God and my good deeds don't grant me special favors from God. That's not what it's about. It's not that starving myself or denying myself something I crave gives me special divine privileges. The Apostle Paul talks about the discipline of bringing our bodies under submission to our wills. And the truth is we struggle with that. How many of us want to lose weight? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Most of us. How many of us want to gain more muscle mass? How many of us want to be more educated? How many of us want, wish that we read more? And how many of us have, said, have ever said, I wish I could play the piano. I wish I could play the guitar. We don't really wish it that much. Otherwise, we would have made the same choices those people made to be able to do it. We have a problem between our want to and our will do's. There's a lot of things I want to do. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. You want to be a better fill in the blank. But then it comes time that we have to make a choice to say no to something that we like, that we crave. I want to lose weight, but I love vanilla ice cream. I like moose tracks even better. Right? I, I want to gain muscle mass. But lifting weights feels boring to me. I want to, but I don't choose to. Then I want to again, then I want to again, but then something else temporarily. I want to invest, but dang it, I want cable. I want, right? We have a willpower problem. What fasting does, when I say no to food, when I say no to soda, when I say no to Bread, when I say, when I make a conscious choice to fast something in my out of devotion to God, like Daniel in chapter one, when I am devoting myself not to defile myself, and I make a conscious choice to eliminate something temporarily from my life that I actively on a daily basis crave, I am disciplining my willpower to say no to sin that I crave. And truthfully, I would bet your ability to resist sin matches your ability to resist laziness, to resist Facebook, to resist, like, what do you have a habit of doing? 
What have you said? I need to stop doing this or I need to start doing that. And I'll bet your ability to keep that commitment matches your ability to stay away from the sin you told God a million times you would never do again. They go together. That's why fasting is important. I want to be able to bench press 240 pounds. The only thing keeping me from bench pressing 240 times, 240 pounds, <laughs> I could do one pound 240 times. <laughs> the only thing keeping me from it is time and work. The only thing keeping me from bearing fruit is the same thing. Time and work. Devotion. That's it. I can say no to the sin I crave more easily when my ability to say no to a food that I crave is more developed. What do we do with this? I'm asking you to do a 21-day fast with me. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pick something that you crave to say no to for three weeks. Three weeks. That ends on Super Bowl Sunday. Just in time to revel in our cravings. Right? <laughs> I mean, we're not in it this year, so it's not like we even care. Right? But pick something. I'm... I'm, I'm I, I'm, I'm hesitant to tell you what I'm picking because this is going to sound stupid. I'm deleting all the games off my cell phone. I know that sounds dumb. I'm a grown man. I'm turning 50 this year. And dang it, I'm addicted to stupid dot games and st like bubble pops and things like that. I'm addicted. If I'm... If I'm on the toilet, dang it, I'm, I'm leveling up. I promise you. I am leveling up. Facebook ain't my vice. It's stupid video games. What the heck? Now, I'm not letting go of Call of Duty. I ain't crazy. I'm still going to play Call of Duty. That's my, that's my Ryan and Dad time. That's my Ryan and Dad time. I, I'm fine with that, right? But, I, but my phone gives me an update on how much time I spend on it every, month, every, every day. I'm up to like... Like five hours and 37 minutes a day. I've got my, right? But my colon is cleansed. I can't, sorry, that was inappropriate. I should have said that in church. When I wake up in the morning, if I can't go to sleep, I wake up at 3.30. Used to, I'd just rolled back over and gone back to sleep. It's 3.30 now. I open it up and I, I level up. I do. And then I, like, Sudoku, I think a rock at Sudoku. I can get all the way to the hard level. I can't get to, like, there's like an insane level. I can't do that one without too many hints. But now I sound like a nerd even talking about this. I'm just saying, right? And then how many times am I going to check Instagram? You ain't getting no more like Sean. That post is three days old. Right? And I follow half of you guys on Instagram. I know you got the same problem. Right? I'm just telling you, that's one of the things. There's, there's actually three things that I'm going to be fasting from. It's like, so like, there's a, a video game thing, there's a, there's a diet thing, and then there's a, a habit thing that I'm going to be fasting for. for and, and I just told you the one that I was most willing to share. But I'm, I'm going to be doing this for three, three weeks, 21 days. Okay, the other one is bread. 
Uh, not, not carbs. I'm not, you know, crazy. But I mean, like, I, I, I eat a lot, like, the bread with everything. So, like, oh, you're, oh do tell, Sean. I promise you. I, <laughs> it's not a surprise for anybody here, right? So bread, and then, I, then the, other, the other thing is I'm cutting back drinking any, uh, drinking any sugar in any of my drinks. So it'll be, it'll be water and coffee, but if it's coffee, it's coffee without, without coffee mate, which means it's completely undrinkable. That's what that means. <laughs> so I'm allowing myself coffee, but only if I don't use coffee mate. So I, it's probably still going to be water. I'm just saying that those are the three. Th- why? Because I know that those things are going to take a significant focus of my attention. That's all. That's all. And for you guys, that, that's easy. Oh, that's fine. But pick something that you know is going to take concerted focus and effort. Something that you crave. I crave sugar. I crave sugar. I crave distraction. I crave distraction. And I'm saying no to those things so I can say to other things that I crave. That's it. And that's going to be a constant reminder to go to God in prayer. The other thing is, I'm going to be in the scriptures on a daily basis. Why? Because if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Then you pray different prayers. Fasting without scripture is just a diet. 21 days, all the way up to Super Bowl. Spiritual boot camp. Three weeks of pruning. Three weeks of prayer and scripture. Three weeks devoting myself to prayer. I want you to ask two questions. Number one is this. God, what do you want me to cut back on? Or... God, what branch do you want me to cut out? Choose what you will fast from. The prayers that come from a pruned heart are the prayers that are aligned with the will of God. God loves you too much to answer your selfish prayers. So learn to pray better ones. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 to 27, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. My ability to control my physical urges shapes directly my spiritual health. Next steps. Go to thatsgrace.org slash 21 days. We have a 21 day Scripture reading thing you can sign up for to make it easy for you. Go to our app, you can do it too. And start tomorrow. Here's what I think you'll see. I think that you will see that your prayers will become less selfish between day one and day 21. I think that you'll see your heart will become more focused on others than on yourself on day 21 than they are on day one. And I think that you will see your passion shift more towards the things that God is calling you to on day 21 than on day one. Or don't do any of this and remain unchanged. I can offer myself to be pruned or God can prune me. I don't want that to happen against my will. It's much more painful. God, I'm yours. You got full access. Let's pray. God, let your will be done in each one of us. God, you told us to pray and fast. And this fasting piece is something most of us have never made a part of our spiritual development. I, we don't, I don't know why. We, we know we need to pray. We know we need to read the Bible. We're, we're in church. We're hanging out with other followers of Jesus. Those of us who are not Christians, we're, 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 making, we're, we're checking it out. God, I'm asking you to help us keep taking our next steps. For those of us 
who have turned from sin to begin following the ways of Jesus. Help us to recognize that the lack of physical discipline in our lives is negatively impacting our spiritual discipline. Help us to set aside, God, something that we crave to teach ourselves to set aside the sin that we crave so that you, your spirit, and your words can have its full effect in our heart. That's my prayer. We all ask this in the name of Jesus, and we all say it together. Amen. Amen.